0: Welcome to Behind the Deal, where you get the inside scoop on the wealth management industry's merger and acquisition activity straight from some of the top deal makers in the business. In episode four, we go behind the deal with Ron Carson, founder and CEO of the Carson Group, who's been involved in more than 30 transactions over the course of his career. Okay, and welcome to Behind the Deal. I am Mark Bruno with Echelon Partners, and this is episode four, and we are delighted to have Ron Carson. Ron is the CEO and the founder of the Carson Group. Uh, Many of you may know, Carson is one of the largest wealth management firms in the industry, one of the fastest growing firms in the industry, and is also has been ranked by a number of publications, including my former publication, Investment News, one of the best places to work by advisors who are actually in the industry. So Ron, thank you so much for joining us here today. There's a lot that we can all learn from you. Hey, thanks a lot for having me, Mark. Now, what we're looking to do here is talk a little bit about, obviously, Ron, your involvement at the firm level in a number of transactions you've been involved in 30-plus over the course of your careers. Um, But most importantly, we'd love to get a sense for who you are as an acquirer, some of the things that you look for, and then also what it is that you've learned from all the different deals that you've been involved in over the years. There are so many different things I'm sure that you could share. Uh, and we'll try to fit in as many very specific nuggets as possible here today. So why don't we just jump right into it and talk a little bit about who you are as an acquirer. Uh, If you don't mind, Ron, can you just give us a brief overview of some of the types of acquisitions that you look to engage in and also what some of the characteristics are of a firm that you might be looking to do a partnership with? Absolutely, Mark.
1: Um, I think, you know, first of all, as far as type of acquirer, Um, And what we're looking for is we're really looking for talented people, um, people that share our view of the future, that are committed to continuous improvement, um, that really believe and have demonstrated throughout their career that everything starts with the client first and every decisions are made with what's in the best interest of the client. And I know a lot of people listening to that will say, well, everybody does that. Well, everybody claims it. I'm not so sure everybody really, truly, truly does that. And, sure. and I'm often asked, hey, what part of the country, you know, do you want to be in? And it's like, we're less concerned about where we're at. It's, and it's really about the quality of the, the people we're looking to, to, to acquire. And I would say it really generally falls in three different buckets. We have the one bucket, which is our fastest growing um, part. And that's where we take a minority interest. We prefer not to have the controlling interests in the firm, um, and a lot of firms will pay a premium to have controlling interests. We really want to, to have a partner that has a lot of skin in the game, and a lot of these independent advisors are fiercely independent, and we really want to give them the autonomy to make you know, a lot of decisions there without having you know, big brother you know, saying you can or can't, can't do this. The other is you know, succession. Um, we are getting a lot of calls now where I call them the, uh, rich and tired group. You know, I, I, put myself, I don't, I'm not tired, but these advisors have been around a long time. Sure. They don't need to do it anymore. And they're like, I don't need this. Like technology's moving so fast. You know, the, you know, we have COVID, we had the, you know, financial crisis, whatever it is like, I just don't need it. And where we'll come in and we, we prefer to help our existing partners, um, acquire that in whoever we have in that, in that local market. And we have uh, two of those going on just this week. Um, And then the third bucket is uh, capabilities. You know, we acquired a few years ago, two and a half years ago, Mineral, where Judd and Kim Mackerel came over. Um, We acquired a money manager, we acquired QBI, um, which was, uh, you know, 17 strategies with Rick Jaster and his team and and that was really an aqua hire uh, where we had talent that we wanted to, to bring in. And, and so there's a minority, there's a succession, and then there's a capability that we feel that we would really like to own and control
0: because it's you know maybe core to, to what our business is. Okay, perfect. And I appreciate that, Ron. And just to dig in a little bit more on some of the characteristics too, uh, what is it that you're looking for just on a personal level when you're connecting with across all three of those categories, you know, the principals or some of the other firms that you know you or your employees will work really closely with. What are some, you know, I always talk about requirements and red flags on this show. Yeah. What are some of your requirements and what are some of your red flags?
1: Let, let me, um, the requirement is that there's a cultural fit. you know, yeah. and we all say that, but man, really digging in and go, do we really believe? Because I, I think sometimes people want to get a deal done. And I remember a mentor of mine, um, self-made billionaire in Omaha. He and you know before I even did my first deal, he goes, Ron. Just imagine, it's Monday morning after the deal, and in the excitement of getting a deal done, are you really happy with with what you have? And I thought that was sure. such great advice. It's like you know, how do you really feel after? Because sometimes you can just get so caught up in getting a deal done. And the other thing I'll tell you is we had this happen this earlier this year that on paper the deal looked good. Culturally, it looked like it was a fit. But when you started to dig in, a lot of the synergies that we thought were going to be there just weren't there. But we had put mm-hmm. so much time into this that it was really difficult for the team to say, hey, we're going to, we're going to back out of this. You know, we're not going to go any further. And I would say there's never a point, even if it's right up to signing the final document, if you're not feeling good about it, don't do the deal. Because ultimately, you said, you know, what do we look for? We look for really good people that are creative, they're innovative, but they're all about, we call it the third dimension of trust, you know, operating in this world where how do we anticipate a client's needs before they even know they have the need? And if we have the right partner, they may not even have a lot of assets. They, you know, we've done deals that are fairly small. We have the right partner. We've got the engines that we can grow that firm rapidly, both through, um, inorganic growth in their market and organic growth. One of our largest custodial relationships yesterday said we've consistently been the fastest organic grower on their platform. And I think that's important too, is, is if somebody um, has uh, is, is never been able to grow and they can't handle the growth or they've been in the business for 30 years and I have 30 million in assets, tremendous capabilities probably isn't gonna change that. It just, they just, they can't deliver this, can't tell the story, can't deliver the message. On the other hand, you know, would I rather acquire a $200 million firm, uh, someone who's 72 years old, who really just isn't interested in in growing versus a 35 year old that's got 50 million and they figured it out on their own. I can turn that, I can turn that guy into a billion dollar uh, firm way faster than I can turn uh the 200 million dollar into a billion i just learned by the way i'm really into trees i'm planting all kinds of trees and i did arborist was out yesterday you know treating some of our trees and i had transplanted some bigger trees and he says you know in 10 years if you get a little seedling in 10 years a seedling will be bigger than the big tree that's 20 times bigger than it already i go why is that he said well because you're disrupting the root system It's so traumatic that it takes forever for it to, uh, you know, get back into its rhythm of growth. Well, I think that's true. You know, you've got a young advisor with young roots that bad habits Mm -hmm. aren't real deep yet, and they're open to what we call um, AQ. They're very adaptable, AQ, adaptability quotient to doing things in a a new, unique, different way. And a lot of what we do at Carson is not traditional. We do a lot of things that advisors have to really want to buy into.
0: Is there anything specific along those lines? Because you've talked about a few different scenarios where there are younger, sort of up and coming advisors. Then there are firms that are more established. They're looking for a transition out of the business. Um, But when you're looking at ways that you could really help a firm get from point A to point B, are there certain things that you're looking for in that firm? And are there certain things that you think you can specifically do in that non-traditional category to help these firms really accelerate their growth rates.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, someone that someone that is hungry, hungry for growth. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if, if you give me a young advisor or even an older advisor, we had a partner we brought on. Um, he passed away just uh, last year, but he joined us at 81 years old, Mark. And he goes... I'm really ready to finally start growing. That's amazing. <laughs> <It was enthusiasm. laughs> and we had a we had a local market in there. We we will not do a succession deal unless we can help the next generation of advisors there actually buy equity into the firm okay. alongside us, or we have a local partner that will do that. If it's a standalone, it's purely succession, it's not a it's not a good fit for us.
0: Okay. That's perfect. I appreciate that. Uh, And I do want to spend a minute or two also just talking about some of the recent deals that you've been involved in, right? There are obviously quite a few. I can think back over 2018, 2019, there have been three or four that really stand out in my mind, but can you walk us through just some of the larger, I don't want to say more notable, but some of the larger deals that you've been involved in, who the firms are that you've been involved with and what it's done for Carson as an organization?
1: Yeah. Um, I'll give you several varieties. Um, do you want me to talk about the first deal we did first? You know, I, I think, think we, that
0: would be great. Actually, if there's yeah. anything, because you know, one of the things we really do try and draw out here is every deal you learn from it, right? So it doesn't just yeah. have to be recent. If you want to go way back to your very first deal, that's yeah, a great our place very, to start.
1: very, very, very first deal. I mean, Aaron and I, uh, Aaron Shaben, President Carson, we we just didn't know what we didn't know, right? And we both were suffering from the you know the excitement of the deal the dating, oh, yeah. if you will. Yeah. And, uh, and then the partner on the other side. And this is a thing, you know, it's kind of like Reagan said, trust, but verify. You can trust mm-hmm. what they say, but it needs to be in the documents. And if it's not in the documents, then you may have a really hard time. You know, this is, they always say that a lock is to keep the honest, honest documents are to keep, you know, what was agreed upon it, it memorialized somewhere. You can go back and take a look at it. So the very first deal we had, um, we had a, we had a, um, a person that was selling that needed succession. There had been high turnover at the firm. And when we were going through, we said, gosh, it seems like your people are really being underpaid. And, you know, this owner said, oh, no, no, they're not underpaid. And this is exactly what the, you just don't know the market here. And we're like, oh, okay, well, it doesn't seem like much more than Omaha, but it's on the West Coast. And it just, okay. So we took our word for it. The other was, um, there was such a cultural difference in the way we manage money and they manage money. There was a major difference sure. in we were, we always led with planning and did extensive planning. They were really on just the asset management side, but all of those red flags, okay. all of them, we were like, Oh yeah, we'll figure out later. Oh yeah. Oh no. I'll adopt the planning. I'll do this. I'll do that. So we do the deal. I mean, the deal doesn't close for two months and the owner comes back and says, well, Everybody, we need to really raise everybody's, you know, you're buying EBITDA, right? Yeah, we really sure. need to raise everybody's salaries. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, what happened to what was said? And they're like, well, yeah, I know I said that, but you know, I didn't, I wasn't aware and I've really done some research and we need to raise salaries like 35, 40%. Like, wait a minute, that's, that's a huge difference. And they never adopted our planning model. And they yeah. never adopted a waiver money. And we were in constant battle, you know, all the time. And it just wore us out. And it was, it was one of those things that now internally, we always make reference to it. When we see something, hey, reminds us of that, of that very, very, very first deal we did. Now, on yeah. the opposite end of the spectrum, we have our partner, Michael David. Um, and really, Jamie Carroll, who's an owner in the firm. And there's others. But, you know, Michael is a founder. He'd been in my coaching program forever. He started in our coaching program. He had $56 million of assets. And then through coaching, he grew to $300 million. And then through our partnership, he quickly went to $1.2 billion in assets. And we ended up acquiring a minority interest. He took the Carson brand. Um, he has been, it's been, I mean, cultural um, harmony. I mean, they they believe. I mean, when we get into something that you know we need to work through, we get on the phone, we talk about it, we meet in person. He'll he'll hop on a plane, come up here. We'll go down there. I mean, this is is exactly the 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 kind of partner that we look like. They're hitting on all cylinders. Cylinders are growing. We're helping them also now grow inorganically on top of that. And so that was that was pinnacle. And then once we did the um, minority acquisition, it was um, uh, now he's become Carson. Kimberrick in Chicago. Another, you know, great, um, just a great story. Um, Mike Kimberrick, founder, CPA of the firm. This is where he wanted to exit out of the business. He was very clear when he came in. Um, Mark and Lisa, you know, the next gen advisor, they're really strong people. And we were like, this is like the perfect setup. We came in, um, they bought into the firm. We bought into the firm, um, and when it's all said and done, you know we're going to be a 49% or it is now 49% owner. They're 51% owner, and that firm's growth trajectory has just gone, you know, parabolic. I mean, they're growing. They're growing organically. They're growing inorganically, and Mike is actually you know, been more involved than I think any of us, even Mark and Lisa, you know, thought he was going to be, I think he's having, he's having fun again. I mean, that's a lot of business owners out there. Um, I think that's the uniqueness of our model is we take all the whirlwind of stuff they can't stand doing. And now they just go go out and tell a compelling story. I always like to say the value proposition is solid, so solid that the best salespeople can't overhype it. So whatever you tell the client short of guarantee and returns, the experience is going to be better, better than the hype. Um, and then we had to get creative. Um, Joel Wolfsford, um, he was with Wells Fargo. So, you know, it was a yeah. wirehouse lift out. With a wirehouse lift out, you never know, you know, how much as actually of the assets are going to transfer. Um, but he did want it, he wanted the Carson brand. He wanted the, um, us to take an ownership. So, we really structured it in such a way that, you know, after, and he had tremendous success, you know, in moving those assets over. Um, And then, we were able to later come in and take that minority interest because he didn't have any earnings to begin with. We had no idea Mm -hmm. what the number of assets that we're gonna move over. But in all of those cases, uh, you know, Michael and Joel, Mike, Lisa, Mark, uh, have just been, been fantastic cultural fits you know, for what, for what we do. So, if you get the culture right, you can mm-hmm. accomplish anything. If you don't get the culture right, you can throw money, energy, effort, lots of it, and you're not going to move the needle very far. So, that's yeah. the biggest piece of advice I always have is get the culture right.
0: Yeah. and it, It's interesting. I've done a few of these and in every interview, We spend time on culture, but not just as, you know, a word that everybody's obligated to throw into the conversation. Greg Freeman and I, we actually talked a lot about after the close, right? And how exciting it is to go through the deal. You're getting into the numbers. There's a ton of energy and then you have to use the Monday morning. You have to live with that person, right? Are you excited about living with that person? And I'm curious, you know, from, if you put yourself in a seller's perspective right now, they're thinking about that example you used before late 60s, early 70s, do they want to transition is now the time. Um, what specific pieces of advice for that seller right, and that person as an individual, right? not just as a business leader, but somebody you actually has to be comfortable with and happy with the decision to sell their business or merge? What piece of advice do you have for him or her?
1: Well, first of all, uh, something that I think you should always be on the lookout where you can really tell are they client, really, truly client focused is are they asking the right questions for the benefit of their clients, right? If they're in this mm-hmm. and it's all about maximizing their value and they're really not asking in deep due diligence questions about how is this going to benefit their clients? That's a huge red flag, right? It may yeah. look good. They may say all the right mm-hmm. things. Um, and that's the other piece is, You know, there's two kind of litmus tests I have, Mark. Whenever I bring on a new, we call them internal stakeholders. We don't have employees at Carson. always imagine Mm -hmm. I'm going to be introducing this person to my very best client. Is this someone I'm going to be proud of to say, this is someone I work with every day? The same thing is true with bringing in a a new partner. When we have our partner summit and they meet each other and they meet a new partner, are they going to, am I going to be excited that they're going to say, man, this person is a creative they're energetic. They believe in the mission that we have, and for a seller, getting the highest price is not consistent with doing what's best for your client. Because where you're going to get the highest price mm-hmm. is where people are going to be going to be able to make a lot of additional monies on your client that they don't even know they're paying. You know, whether it's a broker dealer. It's taking, you know, back when we had yield, taking 90% of the yield is going into their pocket or these all backdoor payments and all this other stuff that where they can afford to pay more. You really want and what we what we also tell sellers is if you see the value proposition, what we're offering, you're going to make you're going to you're going to get a lot more if you allow. It to be more of an earnout over time because our fast growth, we're going to pay you. We'll pay you a multiple on the future assets that we bring in if you'll if you'll Mm -hmm. bring some of the risk along, you know, with us in the deal. Um, We just recently closed one. We um, uh, Andrew Negrelli, our partner in the Northeast, um, in the Boston or Waltham, uh, Massachusetts. I mean, he joined January. Um, He we we helped him uh, bring in retiring advisor. This advisor, man, I mean, just like, this is a guy that, you know, I would have my money with, right? And like, right. he is, he <laughs> is not, he's, he's very, like the money and stuff was never important to him. The most important thing was, how are my clients going to be taken over with you and what's their experience going to be? So he was also really pushing hard on what's our culture. He met with Andrew a dozen times. He came out to Omaha. He sent his, you know, key people out to Omaha. I mean, this thing went on for a year and at every, at every intersection, it was, is this good for my client? And I'm like, this is exactly why we're in this business. Cause there are these people out there
0: that are so committed, you know, to, to doing it the right way. 100%. Absolutely. You see it every day, fortunately, right? Uh, yes. As we just sort of wind down here want to end with a couple of questions specifically looking ahead um, for Carson. And obviously this is an incredibly unpredictable time this year itself uh, has been like really any other, but I am curious. We've talked at Echelon so much about how or if the M&A activity and environment as a result of you know, the market downturn and just the broader you know, global dynamics right now. I'm curious I mean, if you're able to share a little bit about, it, where your view is and also what the pipeline looks like for you all potentially over the course of this year I mean how much has changed and where are you now boy a lot has changed mark I yeah. mean you know and I know this has been said but I think it sets
1: a stage I mean we went from um by the way I had a new book came out and I did the self-narration and it was in the middle of when this was all really breaking the markets were at the you know lows and and so I added, I was able to add a lot of. If anybody's interested, in audio version out there on Amazon and Audible gives you a lot of what I wrote in the book, but how that's already changed with what's going yeah. on, and several things have changed. One, I don't care what age your client is; they're comfortable with Zoom, right? If your digital experience isn't amazing, you better get amazing as quickly yeah. as you can because you know that's the new the new world we live into. Number two. Um, Using artificial intelligence and getting clean data for the future, that's going to be the key because that third dimension of trust, anticipating clients' needs before they even know they have the need and generating alpha activities all the time. Imagine you as an advisor being able to look at one client every day, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, and generating ideas that can improve their lives, improve the decisions that they're making through their behavior and through what's going on in the external world. That's a huge investment you know, for us. 3 mm-hmm. 111,000 advisors that are gonna retire, uh, they're gonna accelerate that. I mean, we our pipeline is busting. You know, Jason Carver heads up M&A, joined us from um, Focus. You know, his mm-hmm. team continues to grow because he's, you know, he's helping everybody do deals. And we're getting a lot of first calls right now. Uh, people saying, hey, I'm just, I'm ready to do something. I always knew I was going to do something with you. And now's sure. the time. And finally, you know, we're not. I'm not building this to sell it. You know, I started in 1983. I, I want to have a hundred year firm. I hope I'm around to see it be a hundred year firm, and uh, in my next generation of succession with uh, uh, Terry Shepard and Aaron Shaven, I feel great about that culture being being passed on and our mission to be the most trusted for, for financial advice will continue. You know, through through their leadership, you know, well after I'm gone.
0: Excellent. I think it's a great place to end. And you touched on everything uh that we wanted to get into here, talked a bit about your here your history, your criteria for engaging in transactions, a lot of the lessons that you've learned over the years, and most importantly, where it is that you want to take the firm in the future. Ron, any final words before we sign off here?
1: You know, I just one one more is that is I think so often um, people in general, and you just made a, a big career change, Mark, and mm-hmm. I want to congratulate you on that because thank you. It's 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 brave. I, I have observed, you know, I'm would be fifty six this year, um, and I see so many people going through life, I, I, on this unconscious journey just to arrive at death safely. It's like they just kind of settled for whatever. And one of the things I teach is a blueprinting process. You know, get, go to the end, work backwards, live your, live your life by design, not by default. Everything is in play today. But you can't sit back and let it come to you. You got to go out and decide what you want. And boy, if you decide what you want and you commit to it, you truly can have, have anything today. There's more opportunity than I've ever seen. But there's also more risk than I've ever seen. And not being intentional about your direction
0: is a really bad place to be. Well, and I think that that's the perfect note to end on because it puts us all in the context. We talk about deals and we talk about transactions, but it's so much more than that. It's a huge life decision. So thank you for giving some great guidance, some really candid insights into your own experience, and also just some rules to, to live by. Ron, it's a pleasure talking with you as always. Thank you, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you.